Hi, everybody. I'm Randy King with 8020 Conflict Management Strategies, and you are listening to the SME Stories Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with Randy King. Randy King is the founder and president of 8020 Conflict Management Strategies based in Edmonton, Alberta. So what 80-20 conflict management strategies is, it's basically a mindset of how and different techniques on how to actually manage conflict. Now, it seems very simple, but uh, we know it's more inclusive than that. All right. So Randy is an educational-based self-defense instructor who focuses on proactive skills to help everyday people manage conflict and avoid violence. He has spoken to audiences all around the world and is a founder and president of 80-20 Conflict Management Strategies based in Edmonton, Alberta. Randy's work focuses on teaching people how to identify potentially violent situations before they escalate and provide them with the tools they need to defuse those situations safely and effectively. So we're going to learn a lot in this episode because I actually have known Randy since about 2011, where both Randy and I actually did a self-defense instructors course uh, based, I think, in Vaughan, Ontario, and he was flying out from Alberta. So we grinded for about three, I think almost four days. And uh, we both uh, passed the exam, and we were all supposed to teach, uh, and, we both, and we were actually able to then teach that version of self-defense to the average public. Now, Randy's been doing this a lot longer than I have, so I think we're going to learn a lot from him. And uh, what you're going to learn is that it's not all about the violence and the techniques used to stop it. It's also techniques used to prevent it. And I think uh, we're going to learn, learn a lot from this episode. So sit back and absorb all right, guys, we have Randy King with 8020. Sorry, what's the name? 8020 Conflict Management Strategies. Is that correct? That's correct. Excellent. All right. So, Randy, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? It's a Friday. So, we're recording this on a Friday. So, it's always a very yeah. happy day. Before we even get started in the actual real questions, what do you do on a Friday when your work is done? What's the thing you look forward to the most? As a serial entrepreneur, Friday is. Friday's a good day for me because everybody else is in the downturn spiral and I'm in the upturn spiral. So uh-huh. uh, I usually tend to catch up today on editing, video stuff, writing, getting back to emails, that kind of thing. Because people, I, I, I've, I've seen this at least, people like to clear their email box before they go home for the weekend. So if I get them Friday morning, I tend to get a higher reply response than if I email them the rest of the week. Wow, that's something interesting, actually. So. It's it's so weird, but uh, yeah, like, and I know for myself, it's always you know, I still have the I still do the nine to five at the job, but plus running this as well and other businesses as well. But I always look forward to what I call the uh, the Netflix and chill Fridays, which is just my wife and I hanging out on the couch, watching something on Netflix. We can just be in our sweats, but that's the one thing I look forward to because I find with weekends. There might be plans, you know, our, you know, I have a couple of kids, like you're a father yourself. So got to take them to their activities for on the weekend. Maybe we have to do some errands or something like that. So the weekends actually fly by really fast to the point that Agreed. Sunday night hits. And then you're like, oh, I, everyone gets sad for the most part. They're like, oh, I got to get ready for Monday. But uh, yeah, no, that's good to hear. So, all right, guys. So you heard the little bit of the intro that I gave uh, about Randy. So now we're going to get more details about it. So. Randy King, 8020. What's your story, yes. my friend? Great. That's a great question. So, story pretty much, I've been in the self defense and conflict management space for the last 15 years full time. 
And I say full-time because a lot of people in this space, they kind of teach like Tuesdays and Thursday nights. This has been my full-time focus and job for a long time. So I started off in uh, martial arts when I was 10, became a bouncer, learned a lot about how violence actually happens. Then from there, I went to uh, train some other things. I got stabbed, which kind of changed my view on the world a little bit and training, et cetera. And then from kind of that point forward, it became my mission to educate people on how to manage conflict and prevent violence as opposed to no, dealing with it once it happens. So my my motto is I want you ahead of the curve, not under it. I want you to stop it before it happens as opposed to dealing with it when it does happen. So I went from owning a gym. So I started in a garage, all good businesses do. And then from a garage, I went to uh, I had a studio space in a loving building the police referred to as Murder Hotel. Then I got a more commercial space. Um, and then I closed that down and I moved more onto public speaking and seminar tours. So I've taught in 10 countries, 60 different cities all over the world, uh, kind of spreading this message of uh, violence prevention. So pretty much you're a small time player being actually able yeah, to actually go. I'm, I'm tiny, tiny player. 10, 10 countries, 60 cities. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. You're small, small beans there, my friend, but no. <laughs> Honestly, so when I did that, that's part of like the brag reel I had to do for like the new company, right? Like, oh, list all the places you've taught at and all the cool things you've done. And I've been in this space a while, I've done some cool stuff. There's like 190 countries. So really, I haven't hit 10%, to be fair. Like, <laughs> wow, really. I, I'm, I'm less than you, but wow, that, that's, that's really good, actually. So, so you've been doing this for a long time. So you're not, uh, this is not, a, you're not a newbie. And obviously this show is about the business side of things, but also, you know, I guess, inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs that may want to do something. I know we're going to hit the tips from the pro segments where we're going to ask, you know, if I want to get into a similar space, not, not your specific space, or maybe something close to similar to your space, yeah, jump on all, it. all the landmines that we should try to avoid. So, but let's get back to 8020 then. So it started, a while, the journey's been about, like you said, 15 years. So what yeah. makes it so successful now from year, you're on year 15 from year one? So you've said, have you grown it steadily? Up and down, obviously, as all business owners experienced COVID, COVID was expe exceptionally hard on my business because my business was literally travel and then physically interacting with people, which became super illegal, right? So um, I think I'm going to say the thing that's made this so successful is uh, adaptability. I've always looked at the market, saw what it was saying, and then adjusted to it. So, and also saw who was responding to my message, right? So when I first started, uh, I was KPC self-defense. That's when me and you took that course. We came, I came back, opened the first Krav Maga gym in Edmonton. And uh, that's what people were looking for at that time. They're looking for medium-sized courses, kind of one and done. So I did 11-week classes. We were called KPC martial arts. And then as my focus shifted and as I looked into the realities of violence, it's one of the online courses that I produced. It's called Realities of Violence. As I, as I looked into how it actually happens, I started gauging more towards self-defense. So then we changed our branding from KPC martial arts to KPC self-defense, and that entirely changed the demographic of people that came to trailers. So we then had people who had experienced violence and trauma. They weren't just people that wanted to be tough. They were people that had gone through some stuff, which then made me realize, oh, even more how important this prevention stuff is, because once you take out the bro versus bro, uh, and you, I look at like, you know, abuse and predatory violence and that kind of stuff gets a little icky. And honestly, like the best rear naked choke isn't going to get you out of a lot of situations, unfortunately. 
So then I started moving more to the psychological and educational side. And then that was the pivot to 80-20. Also paying attention to how we advertise, right? Like if you're on any social media platforms right now, the word violence, gun, pun, it's all almost getting deplatformed. So we needed to shift the message to um, something that was still getting the info to the people that needed it through the biggest channels we could, which is social media. I'm all over social media. I'm sure we'll do those at the end. But um, that was a big move. So conflict management doesn't spike the TikTok algorithm, right? It's not like, oh, they're trying to hurt people. And also it got me into more professional spaces, which was super important because while it was fun being like the skull tough guy, uh, no, like no HR is going to bring you in for that, right? If you're looking for higher. No, no, that, that makes sense, right? Because I think it's for some instructors who maybe, or maybe always want to get into that space, they really think that, oh, I just got to run seminars and do, you know, get the, get the average Joe to come in. But then if, I guess what you can do to, you know, increase your, your share into business as well is to actually, if you can get into actual corporate type of events like that, where you're working with businesses, right? Because it's kind of limited with the, I'm not saying limited, because like, I'm not to say that you have a, not, not a big facility or anything, but you know, I think people just think only of the, the Joe off the streets. They don't expand out and think outside the box. Well, I agree. And I think it's, it's becoming more and more apparent that the deeper you niche down, the better you're going to be, the more people you're going to reach. Right. So I think the days of department stores are done, like where one stop shops, right. Where you go to a gym and it's like, it's cardio kickboxing and it's also BJJ and it's also this, and it's also self-defense. And like, I focus all of my energy on self-defense. That's everything I do. So everything I talk about is through the lens of self-defense. Does that piss people off? Absolutely. But making people annoyed on social media gets you views. That's the only way to do it. So it works. But I think for me, like, I am very clear on who I want to work with and what I'm trying to accomplish. Once you have those metrics in mind, uh, copy becomes easy. Advertising becomes easy. All of the, all of the like business to business or uh, B2C, like business to customer stuff becomes easier because when the people come to you, they've already like self-selected, right? So sales become easier and just it kind of rolls that way. At least that's what I've experienced. Well, yeah, I think for a lot of the challenge of martial arts schools I find nowadays is that they try to be everything to everybody, <laughs> right? So before when, when UFC came out, the, the schools of whether well, it's just a karate school or a judo school, they all kind of they all suffered during what I call the MMA school, right? Because then they had all these different specialties coming in. So they say, yeah, for this uh, monthly rate, you're going to get access to like all six to eight martial arts. But right. then the problem is sometimes the classes that taught those ones. So of those six to eight martial arts, they may only have one or two that are actually, you know, fairly in depth where the other ones are just kind of like, you're just kind of offering it, right? So you're not really learning as much. It's like going to a restaurant like that has like, 300 items on the menu you're like there's no way all of these could be good the chinese right? restaurant like menu that that's the one thing i always joke with people about yeah it's exactly like that like if you go to cheesecake factory in the u.s like it's like 180 items I'm like there's no way all of this is good some of this has to suck i'd rather go to a place like eight items they specialize in than this generic like denny's-esque experience yeah no i, I hear what you mean too right so now what kind of growth do you expect to see now though now that you're, you're you're like you said international speaker and you're all this sort of stuff are you looking at building your your brand or growing it out like maybe actually getting another physical space all over the world or something like that so you actually caught me at a really interesting time because covid covid put me on my heels for the first time since i opened the business i have been very i'm gonna use the word lucky but luck and work they kind of go hand in hand 
where my business started very small and I grew exponentially. So right before COVID hits, two major events, uh, one major event happened in my life. We lost our house in a fire. So we lost all of our possessions. Everything was gone. We'd moved to a smaller place to kind of like, you know, uh, go to ground, get back what we needed to do. And then, but I had a, a sold out seminar tour. I was speaking in like, on like, like 50 or 60 dates. And uh, it was, it was in the six figures, which I hadn't made is since I was in advertising because I left advertising to get into martial arts. So I was like, oh, I did it. I finally did it. Like I'd been steadily growing, but like that six figure mark was like, just like the business was making that, but I wasn't making it. And I was just there. And then obviously COVID canceled that. And so I had to pivot to survive because this is what I do. It's not like I wanted to get a regular job, like bagging groceries or whatever. Not there's anything wrong with that. It's not what I like to do. And I started moving to the online space more than I had already been. I'd already been doing podcasts. I've already been kind of savvy with social media. Like uh, if you Google me, it's obnoxious. How many times you'll see me pop up. So like I'm on social media, even my daughter's in now. We have a TikTok channel together called Defense Talks with Dad, where me and her chat about self-defense. Like every, it's a family business. Wow. How, so, sorry, sorry. how old is your daughter my daughter's 13. Oh, wow. It's three years yeah, older than my daughter right now. So I'm trying to get yeah. her into, but she already has her own podcast. Now she hasn't released anything yet. It's more like a, an audio, an audio diary for herself, which is okay. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> but anyways, that's awesome. I think Ken, and like, it's really cool because like what my daughter's learning right now is social media management, which is going to be a very desirable skill in the future for employment. Right. So she's learning how to do metrics, et cetera. So I had to pivot. So my first thing that I did, my, my rule is be of service. So the first thing I did was when everybody shut down, I said, Hey, instructors, if you don't know how to run zoom classes, if you don't know how to do any of this stuff, let me run your class for free for the night. That'll give you a day to see what I do and learn how to run zoom classes. And then I'll do this predatory violence seminar for your clients. And that gives you that time. I did about 45 of those over the pandemic. Yeah, uh, all for free because what I wasn't doing anything either, right? But that helped me reestablish, you know, value into the into the industry, showing people I'm willing to help. Um, and also, I needed something to do. I was going crazy. I'm a workaholic, so that was interesting. And then that showed me that there was interest in the educational side, and there was interest in the online teaching. Side. So then I produced an online course, Reality Violence. That sold pretty well, better than I thought it was going to sell. And it got me new markets, blah, 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 like all advertising does. We did a second course, and that's kind of where we formed into 80-20, where we were looking at what I was producing. 80% of it was education, 20% was physical response. So we're like, okay, let's just call it this. Unfortunately, that's also Prater's rule, which is the opposite, but people know the name. What I'm planning on doing now is I'm moving almost entirely into public speaking. And so I've hired a team. We have a new podcast studio. This is an it. We're in another one. We're doing new podcasts, um, getting onto the speaker circuit. We're producing these, but I do see exponential growth because the markets we're hitting now are just higher levels of clients, which have more income and they have more ability to pay. But with that, the way the business is designed is 10% of everything we make from speaking is going into a slush fund. That slush fund exists. If, for example, uh, let's say a woman's shelter wants to hire me, which I usually teach at, and let's say they can't afford to bring me in. We're going to pull my pay out of that slush fund in order to still be able to talk to the people that actually need self-defense. 
Hey you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Because I know for a lot of business owners, for some of them, especially in the, I find in the fitness space, their goal is that they actually want to help people, right? They're, 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 sometimes they're the, they're the worst salespeople because if they if the most common objection you'll get is like oh, I can't I can't afford it, all that sort of stuff. So then then they discount their service to the point that you know oh man I, I'm going to take a loss on it, and they either pass on it or they kind of regret it. But I that idea that the strategy that you had there, putting money aside so that you know whatever your fee is that you normally would do, you just take it out of that so you can still add that value and still help those people that need your service. Exactly. Well, that, that's always been my biggest fear is because obviously as the business grows, my fame grows, my name grows, which means I'm getting higher levels of client, right? Yeah, I have a bigger budget, but my, like I said, my big concern was that disconnect between making rich people safe and not dealing with the people that I think really need it more, right? Because just resources economically. So, uh, and I see this with instructors, the more, the more successful they get the further they are removed from the original base that made them so i don't want that to happen so that's why we created this fund so i can still work the people that need it the most because i still get emails all the time from people like who are leaving domestic situations and they're like well i can't afford your private rate and i'm like that's fine we have a slush fund for that let's figure it so that's always the goal for me is to is to be helping yeah no that's great so like in terms of your business right, right now one of the big biggest things i get a lot from owners is you know, they're all worried about when they want to start their own business or even running a current business. They're like, oh, my expenses are too high. Or, well, what can I do to, re- what kind of, how can I reduce my expenses? So in your, in, at least in your particular space, Randy, like what do you find is the, the biggest expense that you're currently doing running your business? I would say my biggest total cost is subscription fees to keep the online machine working, right? So my podcast, my, uh, like the, the advertising, all the online fees are, are are definitely the biggest cost. My studio space is a low cost and it's one that's expected. I would say, yeah, that's definitely like between Zoom and, you know, a branded email and website maintenance and all that kind of stuff. And like uh, keeping the online courses up and having the subscription fee there. I would say that would be my biggest expense. But my my general rule is I'm allergic to overhead. I don't I don't like it. Right? It makes me sick. So I try to keep things as low as possible. And that's I think that's one of the benefits of um a service based industry like mine is I am the service. Right. So as long as I stay healthy, we can provide services. So right, you could people fly me out. I do a gig. We'll do it's like conference or a seminar. Um, for example, we're in Prague. We're doing a I'm keynoting at a, at a seminar in Prague, big time, Randy doing uh, at a thing called Understanding Human Violence, where myself and other instructor flying out to speech there. But there's not a lot of overhead on that for me, because it's just me showing up with my laptop and PowerPoint, right? So it's not, it's not tricky. But keeping people aware is my biggest, is my biggest money investment, right? And my fortunately, my biggest time cost investment is TikTok and Instagram. Like, you know, it's necessary, but like, I just, how many times do I have to tell people the same thing when I could be creating a course or whatever? Yeah, like I was going to lead into the next one was how important is social media to your business and what tools you use? And I think you mentioned TikTok, Instagram, everything, right? It is entirely, my, my, my business has entirely been built off of a social media. 
So when I first started in 2005, it was it, Facebook wasn't really around where I am. Uh, it didn't really come to 2007. But back in the 2008, 2009 days where pay-per-click advertising, they didn't know how to price it. Oh, that was the oh, that was the gold rush for me, right? Throw 15 bucks in a Facebook pay-per-click. We had like 50 people come in. I'm like, this is the best. They figured it out now. Um, but I, I honestly think social media is super important. It's something you have, you have to do. There's just, there's no way around it. Even if you're making like welding things, like you need to be on social media talking about it because people, in my opinion, there's so many options out there now. People are buying you as much as your service and also as much as you're giving back, right? So there was a study done by a group where uh, it was called Sweat Angels. It was a gym group that every time you checked in, they donate money to charity. And they were saying at the time, millennials were the big hot demographic. Now, Gen Z seems to be more now, but big hot demographic was uh, millennials. Like millennials, if everything is equal, will choose the company that gives back to the community over the company that does. So if you, on your social media, are giving back, you're giving free information, you, that's so necessary. Like to me, business is always based off of trust right? I have to trust you to buy from you. In the olden days, pre-internet, you went to a place and then you learned to trust somebody, right? So I go to a sales floor, the salesman would sell me. I'd be like, okay, I trust you. I'd buy. It's reversed now. You have to build the trust first before the purchase is made. And that's why social media is so valuable, in my opinion, because you can build trust. Like this is me all the time. People, whenever they meet me, they're like, Oh, you're like this all the time. I'm like, it's not a character I put on YouTube. Like this, this is who I am as a person. So when you hire me, you're getting, if you want it or not, this level of energy, right? It's coming at you. It's true about giving back. Actually, I think a lot of owners, they always think it's, they're just trying to take, 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 because I guess they're trying to build, they're trying to make the money, right? Cause that's why people usually get into businesses to make some money, whether it's a little bit of spending money or they literally want to change their their lifestyle or they want to change their life in general, right? So they do everything to try to do it. And they're focused on landing deals, getting clients. But if you're not showing that you're actually doing something with your your influence and helping others, whether it's, like you said, giving back to me, free courses, free seminars, or even, you know, just volunteering, you know, for a bit, that that that's also something to consider as well, or sponsoring a baseball team, something like that. So they can see that, wow, so it's, he's actually, he like this company is actually helping out the community. It's not all about how much money they can make on it. I agree. Cause that's, what's the biggest uh, headline right now, right? Corporate greed that you don't want to be seen as you don't want to be piled in with the, with the Zuckerbergs and the, the Bezos, the Bezos those guys. right? Like, yeah, you don't want, you don't want to be even in the same sentence. You want to be like, oh, they have money, but they're giving money back. Right. And that's honestly, I'm all about goals. So whether you're doing it because you want to actually give back, like I do, cause I structured my business that way. My, uh, the guy that's helped me structure my business, I have a business coach. He's like, why would you do this? I'm like, cause that's how I want to do it. So whether you're doing it that way or you're doing it just so it looks better, I don't care because you're still giving back. So whatever your motivation is, whether it's it's to increase or to de- or to actually give back, the results are still that you gave back, right? And I think that's beneficial. Excellent. So now we're going to go into the industry right now. So what is your current opinion of, uh, I could say martial arts industry or even just conflict management industry, and where do you think it's going? I will try to keep this short. This is 99% of my rants, and I'm sure we have a time limit. So um, let's start with the positive. I do think there is a renaissance happening in the self-protection, self-defense industry. Now, to me, there are four different types of martial arts industry. 
Okay. So industry number one is what I call time capsule arts. Time capsule arts are arts that are trying to preserve the art. So if you're doing karate the way the guy who created karate is doing karate, you're in a time capsule art. Those will always be fun. So next we have sport arts, MMA, boxing, wrestling, that kind of stuff. Because there's a level of competition, that will always be fun. If you're in that space, one of the biggest things you have to look out for is fighters saying they'll pay you when they win because fighters are notoriously bad with money. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I would get the money up front. So then we have what's called combative arts. That's what we took in with uh, CKF, right? It's end the threat as fast as possible. Who cares about the law? Who cares about anything else? Then there's what uh, the space that I am in, which is the self-defense space, which is the goal is no event happens. So it's not being the toughest person. It's not being, uh, you know, it's not fighting like Fukushima. It's not whatever, right? It's, it's making sure that you are safe. So for me, self-defense training is closer to the safety industry than it actually is to the martial arts industry, in my opinion. In my book that's coming out, I have a book, pretentious. But in my book that's coming out, that's the whole comparison is because in safety training, the, the goal is no incidents happen. Right. No safety trainers. Like, and then when the barrel comes down, this is how you fight it. You're like, no, you don't want to get hit by the barrel. So I do think there's a renaissance in that, that self-defense is pulling itself out of the fight arts, which is good. And that there are some really good instructors out there leading the way, myself included, but I'm not the only one that are really pointing out that like, if your self-defense strategy only works for young, fit athletes, then it's not helping the people that might actually need it, right? So I think I have high hopes for the future, but the current state of the industry is still very bro-based. It's still very, when people think about a fight, their first thought is not uh, a human trying to get away from a domestic abuse situation or a kidnapping. Their first thought is like, what's up, bro? You took my parking spot. Yeah. We call that social violence. And 90% of the industry right now is talking about social violence, ego-driven, dominance-based violence. I'm the tough person. I got to stop this. We talk what we call predatory or asocial violence. That is like the muggings, all horrible things, right? All the bad stuff. We need to focus on that. And I think the biggest thing that needs to shift is the industry right now, if you look at the numbers, that's what I do. I'm a numbers guy. If you look at the numbers... 30% of all violent crime happens from strangers, 30%, which is a lot, but not most, but that's where all the space is talking about. What if I'm in an alley? What if I'm on a running trail? What if I'm this and that? Exactly. These outlier black swan, statistically smaller events. You are in more danger from people you work with, people you know, people in your family. So 70% of all crime happened that assailant knows the person they're a stalker they're a, a harassment at work they're an ex they are a bad family member so luckily there's a couple of us talking about that the actual lion's share i believe the reason why most people are talking about it it's because the answers in the 70 percent are squishier than the 30 right in the 30 it's good guy bad guy right i will triumph over the evil that's an easy sell when it's your grandfather doing it, it gets a little squishier, right? It's harder to deal with. So I am very excited that we're starting to talk to the people that actually need this training, um, as opposed to self-selecting athletes that want to be tough. So the industry right now is going through a change, and I'm hoping to be one of those change 
Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcription that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I guess that's true because I, I think when we first all started getting into the self-defense space, like we'll see, we'll watch YouTube vids and we'll see certain people like, you know, 20 different ways to take a gun away from an attacker, or they're doing this flashy technique with knife removals and stuff like that. So you think, well, that's why we wanted to get into it because just in case something should happen, we do that, right? But then I think what, what really helps and what really makes your business unique is that you really focus on the proactive and more of the the social stuff, like personal dynamics of not just the 30% of strangers who attack you, but people you know. And those are harder ones because I guess you're more inclined to hit somebody that you don't know than if you have to apply a technique to someone that you do kind of know. And you're like, there's a lot more bars for entry, right? Like, oh, is this, am I overreacting? Am I under, right? It's insane. Yeah. So you're doing a lot of like, you know, de-escalation if you can and, and run. Cause when I used to teach it as well, like when I first would do like classes or seminars and I would tell people to run away from a situation, a lot of them were just like, what? And remember, these are like college age kids. And you're like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, if you come home alive, all appendage is still on you. That's okay. That's good. You've won. If you actually hurt somebody and then you got to deal with self-defense laws and back and forth. And I mean, and I always tell students, whatever I'm teaching you, this is the worst case scenario. You should not yeah. want to yeah. strive to do these techniques for real, right? Because, you know, especially if you have a family, like when it's one thing when you're in your early twenties or let's say you're single and you're still living at home or you don't really have that much thing, no, no obligations as much. Yeah, you're more inclined. But the minute you start to mature in age, you know, you have a mortgage, you have a significant other, you have kids, you have, then your, your, your mindset starts to change where it's before you'd be like, oh yeah, let, let's go, bro. Let's drop down or throw down. Sorry. I don't know what drop down is, but always, but versus now where you're just like, okay, we got to be risk averse and be like, okay, let's get the hell out of here. So this is one of the things that it's, it's a hard tightrope to walk. Other thing that people like they, I get why there's a pushback is I was 25 listening to me now. I would think I was a garbage BS for sure. I'd be like, oh, whatever. That's not my reality, blah, blah, blah. Because I was the literally alpha Chad bro, tough guy when I was like in my early 20s. That's who I was. I was a bouncer. So I've gone through a big transition. Um, and I'm like, yeah, advocate palm strikes. They're just safer, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, oh, I don't want to look stupid. I'm like, if, if how you look during a fight is your biggest concern, you probably need to be in that fight. Right. Cause I'm talking to people that are like in real danger, not people who like need to look cool in front of their friend, social versus. Yeah. Like I, I remember one of the other techniques I remember learning about before, and I'm sure you've heard of this too, is that if you're doing like a, a gun disarm that you're going to be punching and striking the face. Oh, well, if you break your hand, if they duck their head, you break your hand. How are you going to operate the, the gun? If you happen to take it away from them, you have no clue how to do it. And I guess, I guess when people see the palm strike, they think of like the old school women's thing where they're just palm striking like a pad or something. And they're thinking, oh, that, that's for women. Why would guys want to do that? I'm like, well, you should, because I want to be able to move. I want to be able to grab things. If I, my hands are broken or damaged, I'm screwed. 
Yeah, sure. So I think I'll start here. So I do think there is a renaissance coming in the self-defense industry. I really do. I think there are a lot of people moving towards the less stranger danger, more stuff that people need to understand when it comes to violence. And that makes me that makes me very happy. So I think the space will be better. There's a couple of big names that have transitioned to this model. Um, but like that, the thing is, like I said, the default thought process to most people still when they hear self-defense is how do I stop a bar fight? How do I stop road rage? When when we're talking self-defense, we're talking like, how do I get out of a bad situation? Yeah, no, that, that that's really good. I mean, because like you said, it's not the the cool stuff that everyone thinks of, right? When they see the person that can take out a bunch of people at the same time, you know, whether it's some ninja technique or something or some something like that, or some, uh, I don't know, uh, I can't even think of it right now, but either case, yeah, it's not the pretty stuff, but then self-defense is not pretty. You want something pretty, definitely do some stunt fighting. Become a stunt fighter or a professional wrestler or something like that if you want to look cool doing it. Yes. Right. And that's, that's the thing I always say, like, cause it sounds like I'm picking on traditional arts. I'm not. If you're teaching a traditional art, don't put on your window, you're teaching self-defense because you're giving the wrong information to people, right? You're, you're branding incorrectly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I remember this a long time ago. I, don't, I know this is not supposed to be about you, but I had a story where after, you know, we, after we did our course, you know, and we, we did four days of grinding and we had to survive multiple times. And I'll tell you two quick stories. One is I, when I, Randy and I were doing this course, there was one drill that we had to do. And I think we had to do it almost quietly and we had to do it very slowly because it's true. You want to start off the technique slowly first before you really ramp up the resistance or the intensity. And it was supposed to be like a headlock defense move. Randy had me in a headlock and I was the one that's supposed to be trying to explain the technique so that the instructors can hear what I'm doing. And then I said, when you, ta- when you get taken over, and Randy, not knowing, I think we were the first group that had to do this. He did a complete headlock judo takedown and it slammed me on the ground. You know, thank God it was mad at service that everyone else in the class, they were trying to, they were kind of snickering because they were like, oh, wow. I guess a lot of them thought they would just, you know, while they're in the headlock, the next part is they're just going to lie down and then they're going to have the attacker on top so they can continue the thing. No, Randy just flips me and slams me just like we're doing it. So that that was that. But sorry, back to one situation that I was talking about was after we did our course, you know, it was pretty good. I thought it was, it was uh, we learned a lot. I still only scratched the surface of things. And I remember like yourself, Randy, I'm also a black belt in Taekwondo a long time ago, maybe like when I was 13, 14 years old. And I found a VHS tape for those young people who don't know what that is. It's an actual VHS and we actually had a VCR, which you had to put the tape into, right? So I was watching and I was watching my old, black belt grading when I was trying to become a black belt. And I guess for some of the other black belts that were doing this, they were doing like, I think first degree or second degree, they were doing some forms or patterns, but then they also said part of their way to get their next stripe or their next degree, they had to deal with knives, bats, you know, fake guns. And then I remember showing this to my now wife and I just got angry watching this. Right. And she's like, why are you so angry? I said, well, Think about this. This is this is also Taekwondo. White belt, all these different colors. Black belt is when you finally actually learn how to deal with a really bad situation. Because you remember during the course, they were even though they were prop guns or prop knives, we were still getting attacked with those things. Right. So to see that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because how many years does that take just to get to that level where you learn something that could happen literally if we just leave our house right now? in a, in a dark alley or somewhere you could, that can happen. So 
Exactly. It's it's one of the reasons why I gravitated a lot more to uh, Filipino martial arts because they start with the weapons immediately. Um, but you're right. Like, so this is what people like. Everybody, Hollywood has done it. I don't know. Storybooks have done it. We'll have this like single person, like only one person needs to know everything, right? Even the special forces work in groups of minimum three. We are pack hunting cool using creatures. So the odds of somebody, if you, the the, person who wants to take you out, who actually wants to hurt you, grabbing a weapon is going to be plan A because it's so much easier, right? So if I have to train for seven years to learn the first bat defense, how is that functional in a self-defense space for a cultural thing, for a improvement thing, for awareness, all great, but don't tell me it's self-defense. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing too, like I, I'm, I also agree. There's nothing wrong with any martial art that's doing it for the sake of it. But like, if you're talking about a reality, like a self-defense art, you want to call it, then it better be geared towards it. That should be almost day one where you should be having to deal with it. Even if you don't do weapons right, but if it's like really, you know, punching, choking, kicking or something, or just simple ground defense. Like, you know, my, my wife and kids, they're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu right now. And hopefully, hopefully by the time we're recording this, hopefully by this next, by in a couple of days, my wife will get her blue belt. Fingers crossed. She is. She's very feisty. Mrs. K is actually really, really good. She's not much of a striker. She doesn't like to box or kickbox. Well, she likes to hit me, right? Especially when I'm just in the middle of something, she'll just do like a, a Muay Thai shin kick right to my bum just because she likes hitting me there for some reason. I don't know why. Not that I did anything wrong, but anyways, aside from that, but that, that went on a totally different tangent than what we were going to be talking about. But so I, I, I know we kind of jumped over a bunch of different things, but in your opinion, Randy, like what has been your biggest, I guess, failure, but also success so far in the last 15 years that you've been running your place? I would say that's a good question. Um, so many. Uh, luckily, I fail up almost always. I make I make the joke that this is the only job I know that a lifetime of bad decisions has actually made me money. Um, right with all the bouncing stories and stuff. I'm going to say my biggest overarching flaw is not outsourcing things faster. Thinking I could do everything on my own. Thinking that. Uh, it wasn't worth the investment, right? Because as all business owners go through this, right? You, you're going to know your, you should know your business the best, right? You should be the one that knows everything. Um, you should learn every part of it, at least a little bit. I got uh, screwed over by an accountant. They took my money. So like I had to learn bookkeeping and there's stuff that, you know, like that, that you need to know so you don't get taken advantage of. But if you can out, like the, the second you have the budget to outsource, do it. Even if it cuts into your pay a little bit, like eat macaroni for a week or whatever, it's going to make everything so much, so much better. Uh, I had a team before the pandemic, obviously the gym shut down, but like once the team was there, it was awesome because I could do the things I wanted to do. And as business owners were, you only have so many functional hours in the day. And you should be doing the thing that makes you, you, right? I Like for me, I should be speaking, doing stuff like this, creating content. I should be, right? That's what I should be doing. I shouldn't be worried about invoices and stuff. It's, there should be somebody else who that's their focus. So I can give the best version of me to the things that are the most important. So my biggest mistake, and I just, just got over it pretty much recently because I of uh, just, you know, like I said, accounts messed me over and I, I had a bad business partner. So like that didn't work out well. So I had some trust issues, but I'm finally back into the space of outsourcing. And now I have an amazing team of people that, you know, they're all, most of them make more money than me some, some weeks at the moment, but like we're investing in the business. So I would say that'd be the biggest mistake. 
Uh, yeah. And also, I guess number two is not being present for clients because you're worried about other stuff. Yeah. That's the biggest fear I think most of us do. Cause like you said, we all start, you know, lean because we yes. can't afford, like you, like you said, some of these services and it's hard being the, the head chef, the head maintenance person, the head accountant for your small business. Right. So I think a lot of the theme I'm getting from owners is that, you know, I would, they always say, sell your strengths and buy your weaknesses. And I think that's a very good analogy is that, you know, and you don't have to do it all at once. If the only thing, just take, what is the most time consuming task that you don't really enjoy doing? And if you know, get some quotes on how much it'll take, whether it's to hire someone outright or to have a company that you outsource to and budget that in as part of your thing versus just, uh, you know, trying to do it yourself. And then you're, you're failing on a multiple different things. So instead of focusing on growing, you're focusing on just making sure you don't forget something. And that's taking that time away from building it. Right. So yeah, you're going to get to a point in the business where you can either, you only have enough time to either service or to mine, right? You can't do both. You're going to have to expand. Like personally, admin person and salesperson should be your two first hires. The person that go, those two will they will pay for themselves within a couple of months. Like it's insane. The the difference it made once I had somebody doing administration and once I had somebody doing the actual sales part of it, everything got easier. Now it's time for tips from the pro. All right, now we're going to do tips from the pro just in terms of like, okay, we're trying to start our own thing. So now you've been doing this a while and now we're going to see how you can give advice to those who want to do similar stuff that you want to do. So. Should I try to offer a lot of different things? Should I diversify my service offerings or should I start small? Like with only one thing that maybe I offer. I would recommend you niche down and and pick your thing that you are most passionate about because that one will give you the most energy. Then once that builds up, because you're going to have a capacity, like you can only put so many people in a room, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But starting off, yes, do that. Uh, But the more important part is know what the goal is. So when we started the gym, we I knew self-defense was the goal, but we had to run a ladies only kickboxing class to pay the bills. But once the bills are paid by self-defense, we axed that class. So the answer is in between, I'm sorry. Uh, but I would say to start, just pick the thing you like, what, whatever it is, and, and really niche down and become the best version of you doing that thing. Don't be somebody else. We don't need poor clones of people. Be the best version of you doing that thing. Yeah, I think that it makes makes sense because I think, like you said, you're going to try to do everything. And and there's nothing wrong if, like you mentioned, that if you just start this thing and you're only doing the Tuesday, Thursday classes, you know, maybe you managed to talk to a uh, a gym and they say, okay, we'll let you use our class for, you know, a couple hours a week. Start with that. Then, you know, you can slowly start to layer things into that, right? Because then you got a space to worry about. So that that's good. So this one's going to be a bit of a harder question because then... Because for some martial arts studios, like if you were, let's say, a competitive fighter and you run your, and you start your own business, like a, like a gym of some kind, you can, you have that competition experience that you can kind of lean back on. Now, self-defense is a little bit of a different story because we don't want to say, like in your case, it's, you've actually had to utilize a lot of things. But what if it's someone that says, I really am passionate about what you're talking about, Randy, and I, you know, I'm doing, I want to do that as well, but I've never been in like a physical fight or that threat of violence thing is the training I take through a course or anything going to be enough to try to, to try to sell this or try to start this business? Or do I have to have, do I have to say I have been in X number of fights and you know, what do you, what do you say to that? 
I I do do not believe you have to have experienced violence to educate people on violence, just like I don't believe a doctor has to have cancer to treat cancer. I don't think it's necessary, right? You 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 can learn a lot of stuff through this. And here's the other thing. Uh, having experience might also kind of work in reverse for you because violence is a big picture and we all only have a sliver. So my experience is social violence in a bar. That's not going to port over to something else. But if I think it does, that might actually be more problematic. So I would rather you educate yourself higher without the experience. And then maybe if you need to, for like that social credit link to somebody like myself or other people who have gone through it as like that litmus check, but you don't need it. You, it's not necessary, right? That's why I use the doctor example all the time because people I like ask that me. example. I might use that example actually as well, Feel right? Yeah. Because I think too, like... When you like, let's, if you learn a, a specific technique on, let's say you're dealing with a choke or something and you do some type of escape where you can run and I'll tell people, okay, that's great. Cause then if that happens on the street or something, you can run no problem. But what if that happens in your home with your loved ones in the house? Are you going to run? Exactly. Self-defense. There's four major factors in self-defense. There's you, there's them, there's the environment, there's luck. So what happens to you, stress response, et cetera, them, what they have, what they brought, the environment, who are you with, where are you at? And then luck. There's been some situations where like I had a guy try to do a double leg takedown on me. The guy probably would have beat the bejesus the, the, the out of me, but he broke his knee on the concrete because he was used to mats. That's luck, right? I was like, oh, there's no fight here. That's nice. But on the other side of the thing, right, I was in a fight once where I was fighting a guy and I was winning and then I slipped on ice and I cracked my elbow and then the guy beat me up. So there's all these factors in it. But yeah, you can't, this is not a one size fits all answer area. You can't be like, just do this. One simple trick is not going to work here because there's so many different variables when it comes to self-defense. Yeah. And I know that's not what people want to hear either too, right? No, because they just want to say, if I learn how to do this one technique... Yeah, that's going to scare everybody else to want to yeah. want to mess with me. Then that's what they'll do. And, and that's why, you know, it, it's a long term thing. It's not something that's going to be picked up and then you're, you're good. You never have to touch it ever again. So exactly. Yeah. And people want it. They want to set it and forget it. They want, OK, check. Self-defense is done. Yeah. Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure and everything. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone will be a great fit, please contact us at Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. That's Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. All right, let me ask you a question here then. So yeah. for your business then, do I need any special kind of insurance, right? Because especially because it could be along the lines of fitness or martial arts, I'm sure there must be some type of insurance if you're running things, especially if you're doing like an actual physical seminar, not just on the speaking circuit. Yes. So obviously carrying your own liability insurance is always a good idea. Um, when, if you're looking to run a gym at the time I was doing service or had insurance for the gym, there was only two service providers that gave insurance for martial arts gyms. So you don't get a lot of competition shopping. Um, but if you're not doing like hardcore training, you can do different things, but yeah, there, there is special insurance you do have to get in order to do physical stuff because it's, like in essence, a martial arts gym is a safe space to do dangerous things, right? That's what you're doing, right? We're creating matted walls and padded things to choke people out and crank it. You're doing dangerous stuff in the safest way possible. And insurance companies obviously saw that. Um, as, as I travel, 
almost all waivers and insurance riders say, and people employed by the company. So usually I'm covered under their insurance, but I do still carry my own liability insurance just in case. Well, yeah, I think it's it's also very important to have, not to say that, uh, you know, we're not licensed insurance agents. Obviously, please speak to, please contact right. one and get yeah, some yeah. quotes on it. But just say it's better to have it than, no, than not have it. You yeah, know? exactly. As a guy that lived through a fire, thank God I had house insurance. Thank God I had renter's insurance. So if I did it, oh, it'd be a much different, I'd be in a much different space. Is the house built now and is everything okay now? So, uh, still some lost stuff going over there, but yeah, we just bought a new house. So we're uh, moving oh, okay. in it July 1st. So what is your best strategy for either non-paying or let's say difficult clients? It's the same strategy I have for uh, self-defense as I have for clients, which is proactive, not reactive. So some bars for entry to um, engage me as a, as a person. If any of those are hard to do, I just won't take the client, right? So like I require X amount of days notice. I require a deposit that's not refundable. I require, right? So I train, I train my client on the front end. This is the way I expect to be treated. Here's my contract, blah, blah, blah. So then on the back end, I don't have a lot of that, but I learned this through experience. I've been screwed over multiple times. My advice is take care of it in the front. If they give you any flack, no matter how good the deal seems, if it's, maintenance, if it's too hard to book, if it's like, it's stressing you out to book it, it's just going to get progressively worse from there. So don't work with them. Yeah. Like to try to, like you said, get it in the front end, because if they're a challenge for you just to to start with them, you could imagine once the relationship starts to go, it's going to be even harder to get rid of them. And it's going right. to cause you all this stress. You know, when you look at your calendar, you'd be like, oh no, I have a call with this person or this person's coming in this month or this week, you're like, you should want to see people coming in. You should want to be meeting the clients that you're going to be working with. You should not dread seeing that. So, all right. What has been the funniest small business story you've had running your business? Uh, My funny, weird, not funny, haha, but I had a, my first, so my first gym, the first one I opened full-time out of the garage. Um, No insurance yet. It was on the second floor of a building. I had moved all of my stuff in and we were going to start setting up the next week and a pipe broke and wrecked all of my equipment, all of my books, all of my certificates, everything got just destroyed. So that was interesting. Uh, luckily, I had a good group of friends around me who were like, you know, oh, you're teaching swimming lessons now? And they're like making fun of it. But that was a very interesting story because like I, I'd leveraged everything. I quit my full-time job. Uh, I'm like, I'm doing it. We're doing it. We're doing this KPC thing. And I had all of my gear that was like my personal gear that I had for years to like open the gym. And I just invested in some equipment. I took my savings out. And then literally day one, everything, I started at zero. So that was crazy. But it's just, it's the person, this is the, this is the rule. This is the life I chose, right? As an entrepreneur, what's the joke, right? As an entrepreneur, I choose, I work 80 hours a week to make sure I don't work 40 for somebody else. It's, it's the only way I could do this. And these stories, they, they teach us, right? That was after that, the next day, I'm like, I need insurance. Before that, I'm like, we don't need insurance. I was like 28, I'm like, bad insurance. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to live forever, right? So it, that was, it was a very trying time in my, in the baby stages of this. 
Oh, man. And, and you talked about, I'm going to tie into this then, you talked about, you know, working eight hours. How do you balance your life nowadays? Because I think that, like you said, a lot of business owners, yeah. Oh, yeah. when they first start, they're doing the 80, they're working crazy hours. And, you know, especially it's it's one thing if you're, like you said, if you're single, early, mid, tw- late 20s, you don't have any obligations. But once the obligations hit, because some might think COVID's taught a lot of people that they have to become creative and may not, and maybe not just rely on their nine to five because I'm just doing a virtual tap on the shoulder that you could go, right? They could say, you're gone and it's nothing you did. So what advice would you give them to try to balance everything out? It's not easy, but... The number one skill you need for anything is time management and boundaries around that time management, which means not even you break the boundaries around your time management. So what I mean by that is like, I live, my calendar is my life. If it's not in the calendar, it doesn't happen. And it helps me keep everything together because I'm doing, I'm still doing tons of stuff as we grow, right? I have a daughter. She has activities like you mentioned. I'm newly married, right? So I have a new wife who doesn't want me gone all the time. We're buying a house, all this stuff. Plus I'm running this like international speaking thing. So time management and my boundaries around time, because we also have a boundary setting course if you're interested in it, it's on Teachable, whatever. Um, And one of the boundary sessions is time. That was my worst one. So If you say Thursday nights or date night, I don't care if the biggest fish you ever hooked comes in on Thursday, you need to make that boundary proper. Number one, it trains the client that when I'm not working, I'm not working. And number two, it gives you that downtime because as an entrepreneur, you're going to want to be producing and creating all the time. You're going to want to, and it's never going to shut down in your head. So you need to Create limits on how much you work and enforce those limits on the hardest person, yourself. When my daughter was younger, she's a teenager now, so she's less interested in hanging out with me. But when she was younger, I used to have her every second weekend. So I would only book seminars every second weekend. And I remember a guy offered me an absurd amount of money to come on a weekend that I had my daughter. I said, no. He then went online and was like, When Randy says he doesn't work, Randy doesn't work. And that changed my client base entirely. Wow. That's, that's really good. And and it's hard too, because especially you're hearing, you know, especially if they're throwing money at you and I'm sure a lot of business, they want that situation where they have that five figure client, six figure client that just, we want your whatever product service here, take the money. And it's hard. But then you said training them in that way, because eventually, otherwise, if they can do it to you now. Then who's to say that when it's, let's say you're getting married, they throw something at you, or let's say, God forbid, a loved one passes away and you're going to the, to the funeral and they're throwing, you don't want to set that precedence, right? You no. want to try to control that perspective. Exactly. So. If they want you, they'll wait. And if, if they can't, if they can't, if they have that much resource and they can't wait for your services, like you said, and you say, yes, they're going to be a nightmare for the rest of your client experience. There's just, they're going to know your boundaries mean nothing. So they're going to be like, oh, who cares what you say? We already know you'll take money to, you know, skip out on your weddings. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right. Question number one. Who is your favorite martial artist and why is it Chuck Norris? Well, that's that's a loaded question. Uh, Chuck Norris is obviously awesome. Chuck Norris is one of my biggest influences when I grew up. Uh, favorite martial artist. Again, it's going to depend on like where they're at favorite movie artists scott atkins or michael jai white either one of those two are just amazing 
I can't believe they're not in more. Uh, favorite UFC star right now is Khabib Nurmagomedov. I know he's not in there anymore. I also love Israel Stylebender. He's really cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's my answer. But I think like most, it, I, I have a JKD certificate. I'm a big Bruce Lee thought process fan. So I think the person probably had the biggest influence on me when it came to physical skills was Bruce Lee. I still use his model of five different attacks. And on the soft skills side, the proactive side, Rory Miller, uh, my mentor, amazing dude, nine books. He's probably one of the best out there. Nice. All right. Nice question. What habit can't you seem to quit? <laughs> uh, lately, it seems to be cannabis. I can't really. It's, it's, it's my favorite tool to turn my brain off um, because I'm always thinking I have ADHD and it really calms me down. But it's something I want to get rid of because I'm trying to shed some weight. I'm trying to get back into shape for speaking gigs. I have some high, high level clients coming up and I don't want to be chunky. So I think that's one of my bad habits. It's over. I've been good for a while now, but it's a tough one. Um, and I think business habits, I'm going to go back to that time management thing. It's hard to say no. It's really hard to say no to money. It's very easy for me to be like, do this, do that. But yeah, I think that's one of my bad habits. And obviously over committing because I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> Not here, especially we, like for canvas. I've never done canvas myself, but having a thing to shut off the brain. Yeah. My thing is just watching YouTube, right? Just easily oh, shut my brain off. And then so much better. Because then my wife would, Mrs. K will come in, like it's like, no, 9 30 at night. I'm just waiting for her to come down. She just finished showering. The kids are sleeping. And we like to mm -hmm. go to bed around 10 30. So I'll just be there watching YouTube and something mindless, nothing to, it could be right. something like pressure washing videos. Right. Cleaning the side of a sidewalk that's really dirty and now it's clean. Interesting. Right. Or I'm going to try that. Or some people cutting soap. Yeah. Super satisfied. People love that. Yeah. So I'll watch. She's like, what do you watch? Right. Why are you watching that? I said, well, because like you said, your brain is going a mile a minute yeah. throughout the entire day. So when you just want to just watch something and just, because it's the same thing with reading too. Like if I'm going to read something, I want to absorb what I'm reading. So some people say, oh, I like to calm myself with reading. I don't want to be get that absorbed into it because then if I'm thinking about all this other stuff, I want to turn my brain off and I'm like, oh, look, the sidewalk is clean. See, that's fair. And you're probably like me. Like, I don't read fiction. I, I only read like, you know, nonfiction so I can get better and increase my skill. So I'm not going to like sit down with like, I just uh, got a book called The Anatomy of Violence. Like, I'm not going to chill out and be like, oh, let's read this. Glass it's like of super wine. Dead. I can see it right exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Next question. Here. If, a, if there is, sorry. If a sandwich was named after you, what would be in it? And what would be what would it be called? So I'm gonna answer what I think everybody else would answer. It would have to be a ham sandwich for sure. <laughs> I would say, honestly, it would probably be so it would be uh it would be on a whole wheat roll, and it would be ham for sure, because I'm a ham. It would be uh, spinach. I'm obsessed with spinach. There would probably be a fried egg on it. And then there's this curry ketchup from Germany that I buy. It's ketchup and curry combined. It's so good. Um, and I found a German store. And so that would be the sauce. So that would be that would be the Randy King sandwich. Even though I don't eat a lot of pork, not for religious reasons, I just don't. There's no way I could say there's a sandwich about me that doesn't have ham in it, for sure. <laughs> and it would be called the Randy King sandwich? Is that what you want to call it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I call it like... Uh, Hmm. See, people can I say, think that's your name sandwich. I don't know what I would call it. Yeah, because people can say what they want in their sandwich. But if I said, well, what's the name of it? Right. And they're like, that's a different story. A lot more maybe, thinking involved. <laughs> maybe the showboat. The showboat. The showboat. Put that on t shirts. Yeah. 
So yeah, put it on the t-shirt. <laughs> All right, last question on this one there. So what is your theme song and why? So when that music hits, they know Randy's coming. So the, there's literally a song by Seven Dust, or not Seven Dust, rather, um, Avenged Sevenfold called Hail to the King. And so I you like to crank that up when I roll up the seminars because, again, I'm a giant showboat. So <laughs> Nice, <laughs> nice. So yeah. any other final thoughts or any other advice you want to give to any listener that's, that wants to try to get into your space or just start something? So if you're a martial artist, I actually wrote a book on this called Selling Out to Your Level of Comfort. It's not big. It's on Amazon. Um, and it shows you all the ways I tell you how to niche down and stuff. I was sick of having the conversation of how to run a business with people. Um, with So this has five worksheets in it. If you do all five worksheets and you want to talk more, you're doing the five worksheets as your bar for entry for me to have the conversation. So you can grab this. It's like 15 bucks on Amazon. So to love a comfort, Randy King. Um, that's my first book because my gym was very unique and I didn't teach kids classes and I didn't teach like fitness classes. I just taught adult self-defense and made a, quite a living at it, which was rare in the space. So this was a high demand book. Um, other than that, I think like, just, just remember business owners, like people are buying you, your service can be good, but you're, you're the most important part. You're the thing that's going to be the distinction between your service and every other service or product, right? Cause there's three levels of branding. There's your company brand, your product brand, and then your personal brand. You need to have work on all three of those things in order to set yourself apart from the market. The best way to do that is to just be you honestly. Don't be a poor clone. I see people like imitating Gary V's speak, speech pattern on Instagram. Just really triple down on you. If you're awkward, be awkward. People love that stuff. Gen Z especially. If you're in a market where you're looking for youth, authenticity like people, they smell the garbage away. So just be the best you, you can be in the space. And I guarantee if you follow that, you will do better. Wow. Inspiring words there, my friend. So, all right, Randy, it was great to have you on the show. We'll hopefully bring you back soon. Sure. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that was our episode with Randy King. I mean, it was a really awesome interview. I had a really great time working with Randy. We were, you can tell we were laughing and joking throughout the entire thing because it's almost like reuniting with an old friend you hadn't seen in many years. A few things that really stuck to mind on this one was one, really specialize your niche. Now, in Randy's case, self-defense can cover many different martial arts and instead of targeting a different martial art saying my style is this my style is that karate kung fu whatever he just literally niched it down to the point of self-defense it wasn't about a sport about because uh, some martial arts are sport based where it's point based or anything like that via decision no his randy's thing is all about self-defense pre during like live and and post defense right so that was actually really interesting to hear as opposed to saying yeah just market yourself to everybody and i think the second thing that i really found that unique about this and i think that's something we should all consider as small business owners is creating a slush fund i guess you want to call it a slush fund maybe call it something else where you start to where you have the ability to load those like to dump a bunch of funds in this account that when you deal with a case because some cases are some uh, clients you might have uh, maybe can't afford your services or products. So like you said, if, if you have something there, it was brilliant from what I thought. It was that he puts all this money on a slush fund so that when he deals with a, a potential prospect or client that you know, has a really good case for it. Like they, they really need his service, but they can't afford his, his rate that he normally does. 
you can just pull from that slush fund so we can still provide that service to those clients that are in need. And maybe that's something we should all think about as well. It doesn't have to be major, doesn't have to be a year's worth of, of service. It could just be something like you said, a few dollars every time you land a sale or any time that if you're getting recurring fees, maybe put something to the side. So you do get that charity case that you really want to help them that can't afford your rate. Use your, use to dip into that slush fund so you can still do that because aside from being helpful to them, you know, th th they just build your profile up from a social, uh, social responsibility standards as well. So, I mean, people are going to see that, wow, they've done it for all these different things. So maybe that's something we should really consider. So, all right, guys, that's the episode. I had a great time recording it. I hope you had a great time listening to it and we'll see you on the next one.